Annyeonghaseyo. This is Kyle with Korean Adopi Stories along with Travis Baylitz. So I am here to interview our first time Russian adoptee. So now, even though our broadcasting channel is called Korean Adopi Stories, I kind of realized that a lot of other adoptees need a voice. And I think they actually have a similar commonality to us Korean adoptees as well. And she's not the only one that I spoke with that kind of was uh, wondering about that. Why do we just have to interview uh, Koreans? And in reality, I think we can interview everybody. So I'm pretty excited about this interview. Zveta is Russian. And I actually reached out to her on Instagram since she seemed to like a lot of my posts and realizing she's adoptee. We kind of had a little small discussion and I felt like she had a lot to say. Apparently she might have had quite a bit of trauma and that's something that we'd like to go over with and uh, most importantly how she overcame it which i think would be great for her to share and for other people to listen to so uh welcome to our broadcasting today happy new year and hope you had a merry christmas so let's begin hey Savetta, uh how are you doing i am doing good how are you guys doing pretty good so it's really nice meeting you i know you're an adoptee advocate could you introduce yourself a little bit maybe you're name, your age, and uh, where you're located? So my name is Svetlana, and I'm 29 years old. And right now I'm actually in Russia and Moscow, like center of Moscow. Uh, but um, my hometown is actually, uh, well, in America, um, Atlanta, Georgia. So um, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, in Russia at the same time. Oh, cool. How long have you been in Russia right now? Um, so it's going to be almost like two years I have been in Russia. So, and, uh, the reason I went to, I came to Russia is because I want to be with my biological family. Okay. So that's great. Uh, so could you tell us a little bit about your adoption story? Do you know what happened with your adoption and why they adopted you? And could you tell a little bit about that first? Then we could talk a little bit about the childhood. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll be honest because I think like that's what people need to know. Um, so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, my first time trying on again adopted uh, when I was about 10 years old in 2001. Yeah, I believe in 2001. I actually lived in Kazakhstan, Almaty. I'm from Kazakhstan, Almaty. And they wanted to give me a try to get fostered by American parents. Um, and then after you get fostered by American parents, you have a choice to make, like, do you want to get adopted by those parents? And do the adopted, you know, do the foster parents want you adopt, you know, to adopt you? Um, and I actually uh, de declined the offer of getting adopted around yeah when i was 10 years old it's because like i could see that uh a foster mom was very very jealous of uh of me and the um of the foster father like my foster father had a really good relationship with me and i had a really good relationship with him but their relationship was like crashing down um because he put so much effort in us and he fell in love with us a lot um like fast and they had like six children on their own and i was not the only one who got fostered it was my other friend from my orphanage so it was like if we were going to get adopted we would be sisters and brothers but um yeah so i declined the adopt adoption 
in the in my friend who was going to be my brother he also didn't want to be adopted um because you can see the effect that was happening in mother and father's relationship so then i got um another chance to get uh, maybe fostered again second time and that was in 2002 I, yeah 2002 and i got fostered by another american family in arizona and at this time i was i think i was around 12 years old Started to lose your train of thought. Uh, so how long were you living in the orphanage uh, before you were adopted? Uh, you said you were in Kazakhstan? Yeah, so I was in Kazakhstan. Yeah, so I actually lived in a hospital for five years, and then I went to the orphanage for seven years. So I started to go to the orphanage when I was 1996 in October. I was five years old. So from five years old all the way to 12 years old. Yeah, so at 12 years old, I finally got adopted. But how did it happen? Um, I got fostered by an Arizona family, mom and dad, and they were actually older couples. And the experience was okay. Um, I didn't really like my foster father, but my my mother, who was fostering me, um, she was very sweet and loving, but the father wasn't very safe guy but um and then i realized that they wanted to adopt me and so i kind of like wanted to make a choice do i want do i want to get adopted or do i want to because i didn't really like the father um so much so i was trying to i was battling with should i stay in the orphanage or get adopted and i decided to get adopted is because i was about 12 years old and then three years later after being in the orphanage at 15 years old after you are in the orphanage you graduate orphanage and after you get after you graduate the orphanage um either you become like a homeless person or a prostitute or you really don't have much of life after the orphanage because they didn't they didn't teach you like life like um, the real like what happens in real world um and like skills for real world like things you need to know and so i was really scared like what am i going to do after i graduate the orphanage so um i decided to go pathway to get adopted by an american parents and then i finally said you know i agreed that yeah, i wanted to get adopted and then my american family came here to do all the documents and get me back to united states um yeah, so, and then I got adopted in 2003 in the summertime. That must have been uh, a huge, enormous pressure being so young, making decisions, like really like life-changing decisions, uh, whether to be adopted or stay in the orphanage. So I guess it's kind of interesting where you're weighing between the two. Uh, could you describe your life in the orphanages? Is it as horrible as both my brother and I are kind of ignorant of it. Could you explain a little bit about it and what the life was like there? Uh, I guess I'll just talk about, because I lived in two orphanages. So I guess I will summarize the young orphanage and the older orphanage because we were in the younger orphanage first. I was in the younger orphanage. And so I guess the younger orphanage um, was a bit difficult. Um, it wasn't as challenging as like the older orphanage. But uh, the first orphanage, um, I really did like it because it fed you really well there. But the only thing I 
was, um, you know, struggling with is that uh, in that orphanage, they would actually kidnap kids in the middle of the night and do things to them, either rape or abuse them. And um, it was like one of the security people in the orphanage or would be like one of the teachers or would be like caregivers that would actually abuse you um, sexually or mentally. Or Did you yourself ever uh, suffer from the abuse, son? No, I fought. I fought through it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, like I, I remember fighting through it. I screamed. I did everything as possible, um, give all my energy, and uh, they weren't able to get me, drag me into the room. Because it was the kids' bedroom where we all slept, and they had to take you to another room. But I fought through it, and then after that experience, I was not able to go to sleep like calmly in the night because I was afraid for myself and for my classmates. But it came to a point where I was just really exhausted, like protecting all all the kids who were taken away from my, uh, you know, from my bedroom. Um, yeah, and I saw some of the kids being kidnapped in uh, in my bedroom, like the boys and girls. And um, and how do I even remember this vividly, like clearly? Um, even like the boys would come back, the, uh, the security guy would bring the kids back, and I would run to them and say, oh, my God, are you okay? Are you all right? And they're like, no, I'm hurting there, I'm hurting there. And there were point where, like in a private place, and they would cry and cry and because, uh, yeah, one of the boys who was kidnapped was abused sexually. He, at first, when he came to the orphanage, he was very, very calm. He wasn't jittery. He wasn't, but after those experiences that he has had in the orphanage in such a young age, he started to be very jittery. He started to, like, if you, like, came close to him, it's like, Igor, he would, like, jump. And he was very, like, he would jump. And the other kids would... Um, be very confused, questioning, like, why is this and that? Uh, and, of course, I wasn't able to explain, but the teachers would uh, forbidden us to even say anything about situations like that. Um, and they would, like, um, yeah, beat us in the orphanage. Um, yeah, I remember I went unconscious a couple, like, multiple times in the orphanage, in the baby orphanage. But then... Um, it came to a point where we were becoming older, so we had to move to transfer to an older orphanage. And I thought like baby orphanage was like enough to deal with, but in the older orphanage, it actually was worse. And one of the things why it was really worse is because the older orphanage, number three, um, in Almata, Kazakhstan, uh, was known for retarded, disabled children. Um, who had psychological problems. And so it was segregated orphanage, meaning like you had Russian kids and then you had uh, Kazakh kids. So Kazakh people were Muslims and Russian people were like Christians. So we were segregated. And um, so in the old, older orphanage, I had experience like um, losing a lot of my friends uh, because they got killed by uh, Muslim people, it was in early 1990s. So in Ka Kazakhstan became an independent country in 1991. So the economy crashed and the economy, like they struggled financially. Um, so 
So it was very tough. And when we, when Kazakhstan became an independent country, lots of like Muslim Kazakh people, and I'm not sure all Kazakh are Muslims, but I've experienced a lot of Muslims uh, were killing a lot of Russian people. They hated that culture. And so I lost a lot of my friends from that. And then um, I used to live in like, uh, Orphan, like orphanage jail. I was locked in an orphanage jail for days and weeks. Um, I was beat up unconsciously, was sent to the hospital because I was beat up. Uh, not just me, but a lot of my classmates. I would protect my classmates, um, and that's why I would get my beat up for that. Uh, and then also, like, uh, experiencing, um, you know, almost, almost meaning, like, getting raped, but I fought through it because. Uh, this orphanage was was with older kids, you know, uh, we were in the third floor, so we were like just new newbies, like we were uh, around seven and eight years old, and then in the same floor, we had 15, 16 year old guys and girls, which is not a really good combination for that, um, and so yeah, the boys um, tried to kid, well, uh, tried to kidnap me, uh, not kidnap me, but take me and do things to me. But of course, I fought through it. But uh, they did a rape couple of the girls in my in girls' room. Um, and yeah, so those crazy things. And then I ran away from the orphanage because I was really fed up with beat, you know, beat up. And so I was homeless a couple of times. I I ran away from the orphanage because they didn't feed us enough. So I would go and work in the store. I mean. Uh, waste my time like crying about we don't have this we don't have this I just went and did it because uh, that's one thing I learned in, as a child is uh, is um, don't rely on on others um, because it's just you won't succeed. I'm really incredibly sorry that you had to go through so much and I guess what amazes me I, I am in shock and awe that, that you're probably like one of the so far the most difficult adoptive stories that I heard of but I guess what amazes me now, you seem very well-spoken and calm. Uh, as you're an adult, do you feel like you process all this stuff and you're able to uh, be strong and, and, and live a more healthier life, or has it affected any of your relationships or family uh, relationships or anything like that, or do you feel like you kind of could set the paths in the past? Um, I guess, yeah, I can accept the past. I don't regret it. Actually, every bit of like what I went through the orphanage, I don't regret it. Um, it really has taught me how to be tough and understand the real tough world. And um, yeah, I mean, of course, when I was a child, after I, get, I got adopted, I hated it. Like I, you know, I struggled. Like, why did it happen to me? Like I was um, blaming something. Um, and then um, yeah, I had struggles, uh, like emotionally, uh, with my adoptive family, uh, it's because I also had to deal with my adoptive parents. So after coming out of the orphanage thinking like, oh my goodness, I can be in peace. No, I had to, you know, had to deal with my adoptive parents. Um, so it really affected me even more. And then uh, after all these experiences I've had, I actually don't regret any bit of it. I'm very grateful that I went through all these experiences. And um, no, I'm not mad at anybody uh, what has happened to me as a child. And actually, I found my 
orphanage teacher who was the cruel one of all in my whole like orphanage life and i actually found her after me i think like five years ago and um one of my healing ways i had to you know like to accept and um move on from that past um and no i haven't moved on 100 percent, but i'm working on it but uh, i did find my orphanage teacher and i did ask her why did she do it and of course she declined it um and i just said okay it doesn't matter anymore but i do forgive you for all the things you have done um to uh move on from things you have to forgive truly and um but yeah so maybe hopefully after this covid i would love to actually go back to kazakhstan i haven't gone to kazakhstan since i've been adopted and she's still alive and i actually would want to meet with her and just like how are you doing and because i still like i don't know i still cared i still care about her um it was just very strange but at the end of the day like she still took care of us like um not the best way of course and most horrific way and actually she got fired by an orphanage director because uh, yeah because of her cruelness but i believe you know um for a couple of years i have been believing in whoever throws excuse my language uh, all that nastiness towards you you give more uh, goodness to them and then maybe someday they will see something and if they don't see it it's okay but at least you're not known for uh, being like them but known for being the kindest person so no i guess i'm a little bit curious i'm just curious about the history and the politics of kazakhstan was kazakhstan under the soviet union yes it was it was a soviet union before 1991 so in 1991 they became independent yeah i believe it became independent country in february 1991 i believe so is is that the whole reason why there's so many orphans there or because of the political unrest or was there a war going on was this due to a muslim and christian conflict or was it more something related to politics of course it has to do with more of like politics and part of the taking the control of the country um because it played a little bit of like the religion part but mostly just you know taking the control of the some of the country and some of the russia because if you can see in the map there's uzbekistan Tajikistan, kurkistan mongolia you know asia so all these uh, you know culture and all these people you know have mixed uh, you know culture and then lots of kazakhs actually came into the soviet union and wanted their own land so um so there was a big population of kazakh people and so they wanted to create their own land and by doing that they they continuously having war and war and war and finally in february uh, 1991 it became an uh, independent country from my memory when i was uh, in kazakhstan i learned this by just reading it on my own but even though it became an independent country in 1991 the question you asked me is that why they had so many orphanages no um it's not that it's because soviet union was a, one of the poorest countries too it's a communist country and uh it's not just russia but it was ukraine romania Bulg- bulgaria moldovia 
with the India, Latvia, and one of the poor countries. And so, you know, because a lot of times we're becoming poor and the only choice was, you know, for them, I guess, to drink and smoke, uh, do drugs. Um, and um, it was too difficult to also take care of kids in those, you know, those times. So, um, yeah, they have created so many orphanages, uh, not just in Kazakhstan, but in Russia and Ukraine, Armenia, all over, like um, Eastern Europe and Asia area. Um, and it's still a struggle, not as much like in 1990s. Um, it's gotten much better, uh, but st- they are still struggling. So just based on my assumption, I believe your biological family moved to Russia. Is that why you're there? Are you in the Moscow area? I'm just trying to... Yeah, I'm in the Moscow area. So since you're in Russia, I assume that Kazakhstani people speak Russian too, or do they have their own language? Yeah, Kazakhstan speak Kazakh. It's called Kazakh, and they speak uh, Russian. Um, uh, Yeah, because it was Russia uh, first, uh, but once it became an independent country, uh, Kazakh people want people to speak Kazakh. So when I did get adopted by American parents and I moved to uh, to America, I spoke two languages, Russian and Kazakh. But then once I started to speak English, I forgot Kazakh right away. And little by little, I forgot my Russian. I can still read in Kazakh and Russian um, in Ukraine. I can speak Russian and English now. But I forgot Kazakh. But if I um, really work hard at it, I can get my Kazakh back, which Kazakh language is a very beautiful uh, language in my opinion. I, as a child, I hated it because of the experience. Uh, I couldn't stand speaking Kazakh, but now look at it, I, I love it. That's one of my favorite languages. So are you your, yourself, are you actually Christian? Are you Muslim or, or you don't practice religion? Or um, I guess I call myself agnostic Jew. So I believe there's something hierarchy than us um, because there's so much energy around us. Um, and Jew culturally, meaning because my American adopted parents have brought this joy of enjoy, like I've had such incredible, um, you know, experience of like, you know, Hanukkah time and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Passover. I've had such an incredible experience, um, you know, coming to holidays and celebrating with them. There's a difference. Like, my adopted parents didn't teach me all this Judaism and, you know, celebrated high holidays with me. Only only Hanukkah, but um, that was it. But my, you know, adopted family relatives, um, cousins, aunties, um, you know, uh, they never pushed on me on this religion. They just kind of walked on me, and I, I started to actually be more curious about it. And that's why I call myself agnostic Jew, because I love the culture of the Judaism. And So the Jewish part came when your adoptive, adoptive parents. parents got involved? Yes. Yeah, but at five years old, uh, I was baptized um, in the Russian church, which I hated it. Um, because that's not what I agreed to. So I remember uh, all the Russians, because at that time, who were Russians, they had to be baptized without any rights. So, um, yeah, I went, I was baptized, and I was one of the 
worst days because that's not what I wanted. So I, I guess I just wanted to afford a little bit about your adoptive parents. So if I re- remember correctly, you were age five adopted in Kazakhstan, and then you're age 12, you came to America? Yes. So you had two foster families? Yeah, I mean, it was in 2001 uh, when I was fostered by an Portland, Oregon family, and that didn't work out. And then um, my director of the orphanage said, like, try this again. So um, I tried it again. So you originally came at 10, and then you went back, and then came back to U.S. at 12? Is that how it worked? So the Oregon Portland family didn't really work at all. So then I came back. So for international foster kids, you go over the summer and enjoy time being with them for like two or three months. And then, uh, then in those two or three months, the parents and foster child are um, supposed to decide, do they want to get adopted? That's the parents wanted to adopt you. So, and after they decide to say, yes, we wanted to adopt you, you have to, it's obligated that you have to go back to your country. So um, after I declined the family in Portland, Oregon, I went back to the orphanage and I believe I lived just for like a year. And then my director of the orphanage said, why don't you try this again? Maybe get fostered again and maybe you will get adopted. It's like, okay, why not? Let's do it. So they sent all, you know, not just me, but groups of kids. Uh, like about eight of the kids were sent to the United States. And that was Phoenix, Arizona. And so the family chooses you. Yeah, you get out of the bus after the airport. And uh, a lady would just bring you to this parent, to that parent, to all this. And so I lived with my foster family, my Arizona foster family, for, I believe, two months. My deadline was for two months. And then right before I had to be sent back to my country, they had to tell me, do they want to adopt me or not? And they said yes. And then I also said, yes, I want to get adopted. And so I still had to go back to my country and wait until my adopted parents, now becoming adopted parents were doing all these documents um, to prepare to get me adopted and after they were done with you know with all the documents paperwork uh, I think it took nine months until the summer my American mother actually the only one who came back to Kazakhstan to pick me up from the orphanage and be in the Kazakhstan for a while until you know with stamp we have to go to the court to clarify that yes i want to get adopted and after you know um and that was not an easy process either but it's another story um yeah so we we said yes 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 uh, we want to get adopted and then we went to arizona how was and how was the life in arizona you said that you don't speak with your adoptive parents anymore or do you or no, so I don't talk to my adopted parents. Did they abuse you? Is that why you had to cut them out of your life? So, like, during my foster time, my uh, foster father actually abused me physically. And that's why, you know, it wasn't that easy for me to, like, do I choose to be living with an abusive, you know, adopted parents or, you know, live in the orphanage. Uh, but I understood that living in the orphanage and afterwards there's no life for me. And so during the time when I was fostered, I actually asked a translator if I um, 
do get adopted, how long do you have to live in that house with the parents before you have your own rights to move out and stuff? And she was a bit shocked, like, why did you ask me that? I just wanted, because I wanted to see, like, how, how long can I suck it up with, you know, this film? Because I know that if I accept this family, I will have to pay the price. And so, yeah, um, this, she said 18 years old. I said, oh, okay, I can do it. So, um, yeah, so after I got adopted, two weeks later, right after two weeks later after I got adopted, uh, my American father started to abuse me physically, mentally, and physically. And my uh, American mother just ignored all these signs. Um, like, even though I uh, screamed for her, she heard me. She never came uh, to rescue for me. It was inside the house when all these things were happening. Um, so I had to deal with that for... So I started at 12 years old until... When you say physical abuse, do you mean violence or is it sexual abuse? No, sexual abuse was totally different when, you know, and then physical abuse where he would throw me, he would hit me, um, you know, suffocate. Is there a reason why he did that? I don't want to judge you or anything. Was there troubling times what? with you as a kid? Yeah, like, emotional. And he was trying to get you under control or is he just a, he horrible, just human, like human, a horrible human being? Um, so, you know, because I saw, you know, like sexual abuse, you know, not towards me because I, you know, protect myself, uh, but, and, uh, and then the physical abuse, I, so when he did physical abuse, I would defend myself. When it came to the sexual abuse, um, I think as a child, I really couldn't understand I understood this, it was a wrong, wrong thing to do. I totally clearly understood that. Um, but, um, you know, in the back of my mind, it's like, if I, I just had to suck it up because I didn't want to, you know, be placed. I, I was afraid maybe I would be sent back to my country or be placed to a foster home. So I kept my mouth shut. But in some ways, I didn't keep my mouth shut. I did tell people, my first person I actually did tell, it's their biological daughter. I told her that this was happening. I'm sorry, your your adoptive dad sexually abused you, you're saying as well? No, you're talking about the sexual abuse that you faced in the orphanage. No, no. Adopted father abused me, not not my adopted mother. My adopted mother just ignored and didn't help me. My adoptive father is the one who sexually, mentally, physically abused me. Wow, I'm I'm really sorry about that. It 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 it, it seems like you suffered a lot in the orphanage, and I guess, uh, with the unfortunately the the really bad case of of horrible adoptive parents. So I guess I I was looking on your Instagram, and you have a post saying that you're really thankful for your adoptive mother, and I actually was thinking, oh, she had a pretty decent adoptive uh parent. Do you know what I'm referring about? As one of your Instagram posts where you're a little kid. Yeah, I am thankful. Um, you know, um, even though those things happen, at the end of the day, they give me life. They took me out of that country. And I could have been more messed up than I would have been now. And um, I won't say I'm, I'm messed up. And I don't like to know myself I'm mentally messed up. Um, because I really work really hard at 
compose, you know, composer. But no, I'm very grateful um, that they adopted me because they really worked really hard and I would document to get me out of the country. And that was a lot. Um, that, that process, I was thankful. But just the experience of my adoption life uh, after getting adopted, no, I'm not grateful, of course. Not, not, none of all the experience I've had during the foster time in my adopted life uh, is not my fault at all. And I don't blame myself any bit of it. Um, but all, like, one thing I am grateful that she, uh, they got me out of the country. So that's what I was referring to. I think you really hit the nail on the head and it kind of reminds me of uh, another Korean adoptee. She did not have a good experience in the orphanage and she kind of believes uh, adoption is uh, human trafficking and all that. But she kind of brought up something that some adoptees that kind of went through hell kind of have a Stockholm syndrome from their adoptive parents. Do you feel like your adoptive family in America ever like kind of controlled you in a way or are you actually just uh, deciding to forgive and, and let go? That's why I was so amazed at your story with all the crap that you went through. You're able to find a better peace of mind, to be honest. I think the way you do it is probably the, the answer. But there's a lot of people that still stuck up on the past. And what's your take on it? And I think you are an adoptee advocate. Do you work with adoptee uh, uh, politics or something at all? Or No, I'm doing it on my own. I have been very silent on my own, like doing things on my own. But now I'm actually out there now. Um, but no, I'm not working for anybody um on nor anybody yeah so um no i don't uh allow myself to have any control like any of um my adoptive parents uh control me um yeah because uh, that gives them strength and that weakens me and then uh then i question myself what is the reason i'm here if i am being controlled by all this and I'm not going to allow anybody to, you know, get me down, um, push me down. Uh, because, again, like I said, what's the reason for me living here? I'm curious, did you have any mentors or therapists that you had to go through to tell you that, hey, I want to forgive and forget, or at least I want to live a better life, a better quality of life? Did you go through that, or how did you, you develop the, such a strong mindset, a healthy to, mindset? Um, so I guess I will say, like, so as a child, I understood it was none of my fault. And that's why I kept speaking up, like, this is what's, you know, this is happening in my house, please help me. I, I said to my uh, adopted sister, I told school counselor, I told my teacher in school, I told um, my best friend's mother what was happening. Um, none of them helped me. But then uh, when we were having family reunion, uh, adopted family reunion, um, I was actually not going to participate, but I, I decided to participate because my adopted family really pushed me and said, Solana, please like, come, give us a chance, you know, because adopted father really isolated me and shut me down from all the family members because it's just a control. Which is a kind of a form of abuse. Exactly. Controllers try to separate you from everything social. Yeah, and actually, you know, he was very close on, you know, beating, you know, winning my what I wanted to succeed in, and um, so I finally listened and give one more ch chance because um, I was actually um, after the family reunion, I was deciding that I'm going to leave the house. Like at sixteen, I was cl close 
turning 17 years old. And I was going to leave the house and live with my best friend and continue going to school. Um, but I had a family reunion and I had a fight with, because my adopted parents went, and well, we all went, and my adopted parents stayed in my auntie's house. And, um, and so I had an argument with my adoptive father and, um, yeah, we got in physical fight and my, uh, you know, my cousin saw I was crying. And, um, and so then in the middle of the night, my auntie said, so I must talk. And, uh, and so I told everything to her. And so, so my aunties and my cousins are the ones who saved me. And I, that's when I clearly saw like there are good people um in the world and so from that moment um you know i understood that there are chances in life and um there are good people so um don't get so stuck in the negative part and then so after did they give you advice on on it or did they just were listening to you and that was enough or did they follow through with anything no, I told them because I was still minor at 17 years old. And I was in, when we had a family reunion, we, I was in Florida. And I actually um, called all the all these police officers, detectives, and I, I was interviewed by all these um, people. And um, so overall, in my, while I was in Florida, my adopted parents, you know, was interviewed too, but went back to Arizona. And my American father killed himself because he was going to face prison. Oh, wow. So he actually was going to prison at that time then, huh? Yeah. I was, again, ready to go to the court um, to, you know, say all the things uh, has been done. And, um, and my American mother still kept questioning because, um, you know, she thought, oh, I'm just a teenager, typical teenager, you know, asking for attention. No. I'm not asking for attention because I already have gone through so much before they're, you know, coming to their lives. I, I was already exhausted uh, dealing with all this, what was happening as a child, and now I'm more exhausted. And so I didn't have time nor energy to just, like, look at me. I'm just making up stories. So, um, yeah, so he killed himself, and my American mother became widowed. And so my aunties, you know, really definitely helped me. And they said, once you go back to live with your American mother, but that was a, you know, I always thought it was a mistake because um, my mother, uh, my American mother needed more help than I did. Um, so when I went back after this whole commotion happened, I yeah, moved to back to the Arizona, finished high school, lived with my mother, it wasn't, it was a very, it was a struggle uh, living with her. In my mind, I feel tension. Do you think she ever blamed you for the husband's death or your adopted dad's death? Um, if she, I mean, I don't think so, but uh, if she did, I don't care. But uh, my sister, uh, the family that I've been adopted, um, I think she maybe feels, um, you know, like uh, that I'm a blame of that. But I don't care. Was she ever sexually abused too, or was it just you? Yeah, I mean, clearly. I mean, as uh, when I first time asked, you know, told her what's happening to me, and we were in Danny's restaurant, and uh, and when she didn't say anything, no protecting me, because she was actually older sister. She was in her 
late 30s. So she was out of the house. And so when I saw that she wasn't able to give me anything or help me out, I understood clearly that happened to her. But I wasn't sure, and I didn't want to assume. And they only had one biological daughter, and that's who you lived with at the time? No, biological daughter didn't live with, with us when I got adopted because she was already older. She had her own home, and she had her husband. So I guess let's move on. Uh, I guess I want to hear the story and how you made contact with your birth family and decided to live with them. Uh, were you around 18, or was that later? Later. What age were you then? 25. I'm 29 now, and I was 25 years old. So it was pretty recent then. Yeah. How did that happen? Did you get records from the orphanage or you write a letter or how were you able to get in contact with your birth family? Uh, my passion from since I came to United States and um, learned how to work with computers, my passion was at 13 years old, uh, continue, like finding my logical parents for adopted children. And so at 13 years old until now, I have, you know, helped my friend find biological parents or other Russian adoptees. And so, and the reason that that was my passion, because that was my passion to find my own biological parents. And I was not able to find my biological family at all. So because of all this trauma that has happened, and um, I knew that at 23 years old, I want to find my biological parents. But I didn't want to just do it quickly. Um, I, you know, I, I still do, and I uh, had in the past counselor, um, so that's why I also think the way how I am. But um, so at 23, I knew that I was going to wanting to find my biological family, but emotionally I wasn't ready. I want to be ready to have low low expectations that they might again, you know, deny me, and uh, maybe you know. They're not married, they're doing drugs or drinking or something. Um, I had to be prepared emotionally for the worst. And so, and then also I wanted to prepare myself um, to forgive them for whatever, you know, would be the reason and not be angry at them. So it took me two years to work with that. And then at 25 years old, I decided that I do want to finally do whatever it takes for me to find my biological parents. So I actually looked around, uh, in the computer for an investigator, a Russian investigator who finds biological parents for adoptees, specifically Russian people. And so I did find a, an investigator and I was 24 years old because I started when I was 22 years old, when I started to really think about this, seriously finding biological parents. And then at 24 years old, I found this investigator and he found it like maybe uh, like in two or three weeks, it was very quickly. And when he did find my biological uh, family, he says, Solana, I'm ready to share you know, the news. I freaked out and I I cut him down. Like I, I stopped communicating with him. I pretend like I didn't get at this message. Um, I, I guess I wasn't prepared still. So I worked with my counselor, I worked with myself, and um, and then finally he said, okay, Solana, it's time for me to start closing your case. Either you tell me yeah, you want to continue or either not, or we're done. So at 25 years old, I said, let's open it back, the case. Let's go for it. So 
he went to realize that my my biological parents were living in Kazakhstan, moved to Russia. And so he found my biological parents, he flew to Russia, and uh, came to my Russian uh, family. And when he came to my Russian parents' house, it was um, my mom was home, my biological mother was home, and my grandmother, and my niece was in the house. And he approached my uh, Russian mother and said, Hi, are you, you know, Irina Drosinska? Uh, I'm here in the regards of Svetlana. Did you used to have a daughter named Svetlana? You know, he, my investigator would um, actually said that to my biological mother, and my mother said, yes, I used to have my daughter, Svetlana, but she died. And, um, yeah, she died at birth. And my investigator said, no, she's the one who sent us here to find you. And so for 25 years, my biological parents thought I was dead. Why is that? How does that happen? So, it's a long story. It's because um, in early 1990s, because it was a poor country, doctors either sold ba- stole babies from their from the birth uh, and mothers and sold babies to other people to... That's how doctors made money. Or either they did experiments on children, uh, and we believe that they did experiments on me because I was born with Beckwin-Widen syndrome. I was born with all my organs were out. When I was born, my stomach was open, like my abdominal was open, and all my organs were out. And so uh, doc- uh, hospitals were paid to do experiments on children um, because that was one of the new things that I never heard such a thing as like a syndrome, like Beckwith-Widen syndrome. So they did experiments on me and somehow, miraculously, I survived. And even living in the hospital, uh, I was trying to get adopted by so many people, but didn't go successful. So we got connected after, you know, my mom found out that I wasn't dead. I'm still alive. She got to see the pictures. She got to read my uh, my letter that I wrote to her if she was found, if my biological parents were. Um, and my mom and my father were um, been married for 25 years and never been divorced. They have four more children. Yeah, and so, uh, of course, I immediately started to get, you know, Russian visa, wanted to go to Russia. I wanted to surprise my biological father um, to to see him on his birthday in December. I found him, like, I think September. In October, my biological father gets killed by drug addicts. So that was painful. And I still, like, struggle with that because one of the biggest things I wish if I do find my biological parents, I would want to have a father. And because I wanted who could be, like, a leader, a good role model for me because as a child I realized I didn't have any male role models. So he got involved in an accident or he was dealing drugs or? No, he was fishing one morning and um, he was sitting next to the shore um, and just sitting and there were uh, drug addicts, you know, you know, uh, walking around and they beat my father up. And my father is the one who also speaks up, uh, but 
one guy against three guys, definitely. And so he got beat up really badly to a point he died. Um, had concussion. Was it safe there, or you had to be worried about all this happening all the time, or was it just some freak accident that... No, Russia, it's a safe country. It's another story to it. You know, we have a lot of drug addicts, and uh, in Russia, there's a lot of people who drink a lot and um, do drugs a lot, so... I don't know much about uh, Russia, so you say that a lot of them do drugs, but... I. Isn't this country like extremely strict against drug use? Well, yeah, but it's a very disorganized country. So they're not going to watch over all the, those people. Yes, it's illegal to uh, be, you know, doing drugs, but there's always ways to get it. I mean, when it's such a messed up or disorganized country, there's ways to do it. I mean, it's easy for me to do it, but of course, I don't do those things. I don't drink and I don't smoke. So I guess the thing I want to relate to is that, you know, many adoptees from Korea, they typically get adopted from three to six months years old. Is the reason why they waited so long is because Russia was still Soviet Union and that's why you're in the orphanage so long until you could get adopted at a later age? Because I read that reason why they do it early is because, in well, in Korea, the research states that it's really hard to adjust to normal life when you get adopted at an older age. Yeah, so did you struggle in, in high school, like studies, or were you pretty uh, adaptable? Yeah, I mean, of course I uh, struggle socially and academically. Uh, so no, Russians, uh, Americans, uh, Canadians, anybody, other countries could adopt a Russian from, from birth until they are maybe 15 or 16 years old, but that's rarely happen. Uh, not just Russia, but Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Armenia. So. It's definitely preferable to adopt a child from birth or like when they're younger. But we were one of the luckiest orphanages where we were able to get adopted at such an older age. And because I think also uh, our director of the orphanage fought for us uh, getting adopted. And we were really well-behaved children in her eyes. And, and no, we, we were. Um, and so her goal was, you know, uh, get the kids adopted as, as much as possible. Get you know, get rid of all these kids from the orphanage. And I think the last time I left, um, in the last time I heard, there were fifty kids who got adopted overall from my orphanage. So I'm curious: is there a reason why the young adoption you call it, or the previous one, is there a reason why you didn't get adopted then? Well, because I lived in the hospital for five years, and then after. Living in the hospital for five years, I was moved to the baby orphanage, and there were times that there are people who wanted to adopt me, but didn't work out for some reason. I do remember there were Russian families, there were other families who wanted to adopt, didn't work out. And so then I went to the older orphanage. In 1998, I was about to get adopted. There were American parents who actually just actually came to our orphanage. And um, our classroom was one of the well-behaved classrooms. And so uh, American parents came to us and they said, I want this child and I want this child. They wanted two girls. So they picked me and they picked another girl, Anastasia. And so they started with the process of getting us adopted. But I got really sick 
uh, during the adoption and I had hepatitis and I wasn't doing so well. I had to be placed in the hospital and it was a question, would I survive actually? And so at that time, uh, they were saying that I might not survive. So American adopted parents came to my hospital and I said, please adopt another child. There won't be a chance for us to, you know, get adopted. So they gave me a choice, a chance to pick someone else in, from my classroom. And I picked a, my classmate, Marina, who was one of the sweetest, kindest person. So, yeah, they adopted Anastasia, Anastasia and Marina from in 1998. So how old were you then? 1998, I was seven years old. So the older orphanage, you go there when you're seven? Yeah, yeah, seven years old. And then I didn't get heard from any American parents that they wanted to adopt me or adopt my classmates, but there were other uh, other classmates actually getting adopted, but it wasn't me. But then in 2001, I had a chance um, to be chosen to start getting fostered. So, and that's when it came to Portland, Oregon family, and then Arizona family. So that's how it started. Boy, you must be one of the like the strongest persons I ever known. We don't want to associate just because someone been through like hell. It doesn't mean that they uh, end up turning into drug addicts. And it sounds like you never dabbled into like being a criminal or doing drugs or any of those illegal activities to kind of numb the pain. It sounds like you were you found a better, more healthier way to process. Yeah, you know, um, one of the ways I, even as a child, when I had a rough time, uh, what I taught myself is uh, go for a run. I just ran. I just ran and ran and ran. Running. You, you run? run? Yeah, I run. I'm kind of laughing because another uh, adoptee, a Korean adoptee, she basically said the same thing. She said uh, as a child when things were really hard for her and she uh, been through hell as well, and I guess you go run into it. Sounds like that's another uh, a coping mechanism, a, a healthy one too. Yeah, and my other therapeutic ways of dealing with stress and struggles is just read books, read, and I read books that what is going on with me in my life, um, so I can relate and understand. And of course, I'm not, I'm not the only one. I oh my goodness, it's only me. No, and so such a thing is that uh, this billions of people yeah you're not the only one so i read the same situation that was going on in my life so i guess you know since you've been able to adapt to your lifestyle and live a healthier uh life when it comes to your traumatic past do you have any advice for people that are also adopted but have traumatic passes and are struggling right now maybe they're at the lowest point of their life and they're either suicidal or they want to do some self-harm. And there's or, just people that are just stuck in that endless of, uh, cycle, cycle of, of, like you said, I, I, I think of one woman we talked to, it has to do a lot with shame. And it sounds like you were able to realize all that stuff that happened to you was not your fault. And that probably kind of helped you develop a stronger and healthier psyche. So I guess I was kind of wondering, is there, do you have advice for the, these type of adoptees that are so stuck in that that cycle of, of, of self-destruction and what things can you offer them? offer them so as a child you know as a child i believed and we didn't we didn't have a lot of control 
as children, we don't have a lot of control to make a decision when you want to have for dinner, when you want to, you know, like your meals, what time you want to, what time you want to wake up. You only had a control, like survival mode. You, you know, like uh, in psychology, they say like, oh, you know, children can feel, you know, the energy. Like uh, if a person comes, they right away feel like if they are safe people or not. And so that's only I felt like as a child that I had only control of is that keep it so close to you where the only control you can have is just make sure you are safe and be careful with your surroundings. And so other controls that was happening, you know, like teachers and uh, grown-ups, you don't have a control. So one thing, you know, you have to understand as a child, um, you didn't have all this control. You only had in control what is inside of you. And so as a child, um, it doesn't matter what kind of behavior you have, uh, good or bad, but at the end of the day, it's not your fault at all. It's the people that, you know, were throwing things at you. And it's, um, to me, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Um, why should I be blamed when adults were attacking me? Uh, I didn't do, you know, provoke them to do anything. It's the people who, you know, provoke on, on them. So, like, what I, what I understand as a child is that it's not my fault because I didn't provoke them to do this. And, um, and also, yes, sometimes we are, are not the luckiest one and not the right chosen. We, don't, we didn't get chosen properly. Um, but you have to also remind yourself, don't give them control to the family or to the parents. I guess like big questions. How did you learn to forgive them? Because I, I looked at them as like, you know, I have more of a sorrow for them. Like I'm sorry for them that because because at the end of the day, um, something happened to them too. Something happened to them, and they are following the system the same way that happened to them as a child. And um, so there's something wrong with them. You can imagine what is normal as an average good kind of person. You wouldn't think such a things like that. Um, so I'm sure there's something happened to them. And so how was I able to, you know, even now forgive my American mother? I don't talk to her anymore. Uh, all I can give her is sympathy. And I feel really bad that because um, she had struggles. And the only way she found her way is by just um, still not being good in her head. So I feel sorry for her. But I will make sure that she's not going to ever again disrespect me. Um, because as a child, I didn't have a chance to just walk away. They controlled me. But now, as an adult, I'm in control. I'm going to make sure that the way I want to be respected, be treated. So I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to re be repeated by the same path that I had to deal with from the past. And that's when you find yourself as a new person. Yeah, like don't give a control because they will continuously, continuously jamming on you, jamming on you. So, um, and then I don't see the point if you're going continuously falling through that path. Cycle. Yeah, cycle. Then you as an Natal, now you have your own common sense that uh, this is not right. And you're an adult then there's no, for me, a reason why you continuously doing it. If you don't want this, 
then don't change them. You can never change them, but you can change the situation in yourself. And if you don't want to be in this, that situation, then you need to change and don't be around that situation. As simple as that. Even with my, you know, with my birth family and my birth parents, I haven't had a great uh, experience on New Year's uh, with my birth family. You know, Russian New Year's is like get drunk, and then once they get drunk, they um, they fight with each other, they curse at each other, they uh, oh my goodness, it's horrible. And um, so I realized that, wow, I don't want to be around this area. I can't change them. I can't talk to them. I expressed my feelings, how I felt about it. They didn't understand it. So you can't change them. So you have to change yourself. And I said, I'm putting boundaries and making sure that I haven't been taken care of for such a long time. I want to be taken care of. And the only person I can rely is myself. And take care of myself and not be around those situations. Um, because if you think that you shouldn't deserve that, you're right. You shouldn't deserve that. Then remove yourself. That's all I can say. So I want to get back to your birth family. If you feel now since you met them, you know, before your dad passed away, do you feel that you're whole now? Like some adoptees feel that part of themselves have, you kind know, filled, filled the void. That yeah. Um, so when I was adopted, I felt like I was always floating. I was my feet were not stable and compressed to the earth. They call that a fog, I guess, adoptee fog. I guess so. Yeah, I was always floating, walking in the eggshells because I felt like I was just an alien. And then once I found my biological family and got to know them went through you know crazy moments with them too and then now i realize oh my god you know so here i was searching all these years no i have not written a book but i'm writing a book because it took me again three years to finally get confidence and uh and then also financially um because it's a lot to you know you can't just write you know write a book and you have to keep up with your social media you have to keep up with and that's nerve-wracking because I don't, um, no, I want to share my story, but at the same time, I don't know, I don't take compliments so well, a positive comment. I don't think of myself low. It's just I don't care to hear uh, the positive uh, comments because I just think I'm Svetlana, I'm Svetlana. This is who I am. I, you know, it's like same thing with I don't need a guy in my life to hear I'm beautiful because I'm just Svetlana. I don't need to. I don't care if I'm beautiful or not. I'm just. I was actually just going to ask you that. So you're actually just uh, living independently. Yeah, right now I'm living independently. And yes, I'm more than welcome. If someone steps into my life, I'll be more than happy to have a man in my life, of course. Are you just next door to your birth family? Or, or you actually are live you with far your... away? Or... No, I, I'm working in Russia. I'm a, a mentor. I'm an English teacher for a Russian family. And I'm a mentor. I help them with, it's like also like a nanny, um, you know, taking care of the Russian kids, uh, traveling with them, helping them with English, helping with school, just all the, the whole life. And um, so that's my job. I, I don't like to just sit and not do anything. I'm a person to go, 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 get things done, 
uh, succeed in life, always look for goals. And so my biological family, I live in Vladimir, three hours away from Moscow. So when I have uh, days off, I go to my family or I, I go to my apartment when I need to have my alone time. I'm an extrovert and introvert. So I also need to have some time and um, to get myself together, you know, after work and then I visit my family. Because uh, that can be too much too, because I have my mom living in the in the house, my grandmother, my niece, my my uh, sister, and my three brothers in one house. It's a lot. Are you like the middle child? Yes, I am. I'm I'm a middle child. Yes. So my mom gave birth to my older sister, Wanka. Um, She's forty one years old. Then she, they gave birth to a second child. My brother Sergey. He is thirty. Nine, I believe, and I'm 29, and then I have brothers who are 27 years old. Yes, and that's it. What's your relationship with them? Is it uh, close or pretty? Uh, yeah, close or it's distant. taken a while to get you used to. Um, it took me a while uh, to build a relationship with my family. Not so much with my brothers. They, my brothers and I, fell in love with like, and we had right away connection from the beginning, from the start. But, um, and I also wanted to have um, connection with my mom right away, with my biological mother right away. But it didn't happen because uh, there's an older sister that I had, that she, she was the only girl in the family. And um, she was jealous. She wanted to affect the relationship with my, my biological mother. You know, she played games with my biological mother, told stories, lies, and everything. So our relationship has affected. That is one of the reasons I moved to Russia, is for my uh, birth family to see who truly I am. Like, And my biological mother, you know, was very sorry that she uh, was listening to an older daughter. And then I have boundaries with my older sister, didn't have for a while like a really great relationship with her. Sounds like she has her own issues to work out. And yeah, so um, you know, like I said, my uh, my heart is always open. I'm not that person. Like when I meet new people, I'm like shielded. No, uh, it's, it needs to be opposite. Your heart should be open always. But if somebody stabs in the back or does something, you close it up. Uh, my aunties, who are my role models, has taught me. There's always room for love, and there is. And so I can, I will always love so many people, but if they don't want to be in my path, then please shoot away. I'm sorry. I'm not going to waste my time. Do any of your siblings are married or have kids or, or not? My sister is married with a, you know, she has a husband, but he is an alcoholic, and uh, he's messed up, she's messed up. Um, and then I have a brother who was married too, but he's in the process of divorcing. Uh, she, he does have a daughter, which is my niece, uh, Dasha. Um, and that's one of the greatest things, like none of us have children, but my brother so far has a child. So she makes us happy in the family because she's a kid. Kids are so much fun. Um, 
Yeah, and the the reason he's getting divorced is because the wife cheated on him. So that's the sad part. And he's a great guy too. I, I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, I know there's a lot of adoptees that want to look for the perfect family, but even though you could you could say that you found a sense of wholeness, there's really no perfect family out there, and they still all kind of have all the same issues that everyone everyone has that kind of dysfunction in a way. Yeah, every family member, and that's the thing, all these years I try to search, like, no, our family are better, no, adoptees, uh, I mean, in some ways, my adoptive family are better than my adopt, you know, my birth family, and, so, and then other ways, my birth family are better in different ways, um, and actually, friends are one of your family, too, uh, that's one thing I realized, it has nothing to do with birth family, adoptive family, your friends, whoever, acquaintance, neighbors, we all family is whoever takes you in in your life and are loyal and love you unconditionally. So, what do you think of Russian culture? Is there Russian cuisine you like? I, I heard. I heard it's like a really or... cold country. I mean, not like just cold, like icy cold. If like the socially, it, it, it's you have to be very, very tough. Is that true? Yeah. So, you know, all these experience I had in my uh, my childhood life and younger age and. And I thought I got stronger and uh, been living in America. And I thought I was, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm like strong emotionally and physically in America. And then I came to Russia, living here for two years straight. And uh, wow, was I mistaken? It. Um, I look back and I'm like, oh, no, I was a bit stupid and uh, very gullible and naive. Um, and so Russia has really taught me how to have even more thicker skin and um, and fight for, you know, for my rights and fight for uh, what you deserve. So it's a very difficult co- culture. It's like not, there's no middle. Either you have a nasty people, like miserable people, or you have most amazing kind people. There's no middle ground to this. And um, and so if you want to get something, you don't just follow the rules and regulations. No, there's no such a thing as that. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, Russia's like, yes, this is a rule, this is a rule, but it's a joke. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with acquaintance and money. Do you have the money and friends who can connect you to things? Then you're good to go. It must have been kind of a cultural shock going from a, a democratic America. Uh, America. Like, do you feel like the sense of oppression, I guess, versus America, where you can just say what the hell you want, versus Russia, you kind of got to be careful. Um, yeah, you definitely have to be careful what you say, how you be careful in public, how you act, and all this stuff. But, of course, you just have to, first of all, you have to respect any kind of culture in the country that you're going to. You still need to respect. Even though you don't agree, there's a thing. Agree to disagree. And that's a mature way. So don't, don't try any other way. Like, don't be immature about it and just act right. So it took me a while. You know, I'm very bubbly. I'm very open. I'm so loving. And But here I have to uh, pick and choose who I can do that and who I cannot. And also I still don't want to lose that light of, like, what I've learned in my, in my life. Um, like for instance, if I was in America and uh, there's a song 
you know, playing in the, in the store. I would dance and I would sing aloud sometimes, um, even though I'm a horrible singer. But um, And I still brought that, you know, my joy in here. And so when there's a song playing in the store in the Russia, and my, Rus- and my Russian mother is like, no, no, you know, she gets so embarrassed. It's, oh, my God, the most embarrassing thing, most horrible thing. And now I'm here, you know, the music's playing. I'm just like, oh, you know, just floating and dancing and just singing, just being in the moment and present. And I'm not doing anything immoral or illegal. I'm just being joyful inside me. No, I'm not hallucinating. No, I'm not, I wasn't taking drugs. Don't worry. I uh, wasn't smoking weed that time. I'm just being who I am. I love to dance if I hear the song. And so my mom, no, no, you know, she tries to stop me. I'm like, no, mom, this is who I am. If they don't like it, they can look away. I'm not doing anything embarrassing. I'm just spreading joy. And if they want to join, they can. Um, or even if I get hungry, you know, like when we get hungry, we eat everywhere. And that's what I've learned. And um, so I got really hungry, couldn't wait to get home. We walked to the stores. We don't have, you know, we don't have a car. So I got hungry. I'm not going to wait. Um, and so I took this whole loaf of bread and eating in the street, you know, ripping it and eating it like there's something wrong. Then, oh, put it away. Oh my goodness. People are watching it. I'm like, mom, I'm like, mom then just don't look at them. You know, um, it's so strange for them. It's kind of a weird cultural thing. So you're not supposed to eat on the street, you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, and like, for instance, one day I was in the bank um, in Russia, and we had this huge line of people, and it takes a long time, and so um, so we inside the bank, bank, and I see through the window this grandmother running, you know, because I think she understood that there's a big, huge line, and she's running to get to, you know, get to the door to, you know, get in line, and then she reached the front door, and she's starting to you know, like, uh, you know, drag herself, like, you know, something's wrong with her, and pretending like she can't walk, and she's like, oh, could you guys let me cut in, like, I have respect for elders, but if I see you running, <laughs> if I see you running, you have no problem walking and standing, then don't play games, and because, um, you know, fight for your right, like, fight for your position. And so, and she started to, you know, show up and drag herself. Oh, my goodness, poor me. I'm like, no, I don't, no, I don't really care. Your grandmother or younger, you don't do that. I just, I, I just saw you running up, you know, running towards the bank, you know, coming towards the bank. And, um, and so then she started to curse at me and rush and like, I'm like, okay, okay, I understand you're not having a great day, but please get back to the back of the line because we've been here for longer than you. So you have to find a position. And people also push you. And no, you don't allow that. You push back, you know. Um, no, you always push, you speak up. Um, but be careful how you speak up, um, you know. Yeah, and don't be... Uh, adapt to their culture, but then uh, welcome your own culture too. Is there such thing as free speech there then? Or no. no. Oh, there's no. not. It's, they will shut you down quickly. No. It seems like um, a really I, weird question. So all the stuff you're telling me, you won't get like in trouble by the government, or is it just me being over paranoid? No, that's my opinion, and that's my experience. 
Maybe that's not all true for others, but for me, that's how it has been true for me. And um, no, I'm not scared to say anything. No, I'm not worried about it. Yes, I'm sure that people going to have their own opinions, but that's their lens of, you know, through their eyes. That's my perspective. Um, but like I said, they are good Russians and then, um, you know, bad Russians. But they have been really good Russians, too. Has helped me go through from point A, point B, because of traveling. And there are, uh, you know, family who, you know, uh, just go into the restaurants. And we have this, like, small cafe closer to my mom's house. And he is just an amazing, he's like mix of Russian and uh, Uzbekistan. And uh, he's so devoted in his own, like, they cook amazing. And you pay a small amount of portion of food. But because I was, you know, very bubbly, uh, very, you know, you know, like, hi, how are you? Like, you know, how we all do in America. And now, like, uh, I want this, I want that, that's it. But no, I, you know, asked about his life. I asked how he's doing. And he can eat gigantic, um, you know, bowl of uh, noodle soup. And to my mom, and there are good people where they just, uh, and every time he sees me, hi, Solana, and, 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 and I wave to him. And there are, you know, uh, other people, uh, when it, I have issues with the phone, you have to pay to fix the phone. But they're like, no, no, because of me being just simply friendly and just knowing their lives. So have you come across a lot of uh, adoptees at all uh, currently or networking yeah. maybe online? I am connected with a lot of adoptees. So uh, I can say this to you. Since I've been adopted and during the time when I was being adopted, a lot of my friends, uh, there were 50 of my friends who've been adopted uh, from my orphanage. I couldn't find all of my 50 of my friends at least. Oh, wow. So you actually reconnected with some of them. Yes. So I found 90% of my friends, and they've been adopted from Canada, mostly USA. I don't want to generalize, but is there a situation similar to you? I'm pretty sure it was similar when you were, you were there in the orphanage, but is it similar scenario now that they were adopted to America or somewhere else? Yeah, I have a friend who is magnificent the first day i met her she is one of the strongest little kids and so emotions in physical she's very strong and she also got adopted by uh, adopted parents who were very abusive and one of the things i think is because genetically how strong she is and um and also religiously uh, that has helped her the religious part really helped her the most I actually found her biological parents, um, and the sad part is that where she used to live in the same orphanage as me, her mom, so all these years that she lived in the orphanage, she never knew that she had a mother who was living 15 minutes walk, like by foot, um, you know, closer to the orphanage, and she also, her birth mother thought she was dead, and actually she wasn't dead. She was given up for adoption. Yeah. And she's still like very strong. She has children and a husband. That seems to be a really common story where the adoptees are claim that they're dead, but they're not. They're not. And I'm going in orphanage. Yeah. It seems like something political so needs how to does, change. How does that, that work? I thought you said they sell babies. So why would they end up in an orphanage? No, some of them got adopted 
And some of them uh, got sold right away um, when they were babies. Some of them weren't able to be adopted because of the reasons, like for my reasons. I'm not sure about my friend's reason, but, um, you know, she was taken away from her parents and they told her that she was dead. And so all these years, parents thought, I believe 28 years old, they thought that she uh, passed away. Like, for instance, an example, when I found my biological parents, a lot of Russians started to speak up, especially to my biological mother, saying, like, I remember when I gave birth to my twin sons, they took my sons away. I never had any problems with my pregnancy. You know, I, I've been so healthy. And then uh, they took my twin sons away. And they said that they have passed away. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, records of that. There's a lot of corruption going on in, in Russia. Do you think, like it's, do you think be- it's better now or you're not sure? Is it? Is it changed? I can't say 100%, but it is much better now. But it's still happening. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as worse as it used to be in 1990s or in 1980s, too. So there was a lot of adoption going on in early 1990s um, in Kazakhstan and Russia. And so there was a lot of that happening where doctors would sell kids to adopted parents. That's just so unfortunate. I guess I kind of wanted to lead into maybe probably one of our last questions. It seems like you're at a really good place right now. Yeah, I think, yes, I think so. Or is it still things to work on or is there ambitions or goals you still want to accomplish? accomplish? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to continue to accomplishing my education route and uh, get a higher education degree so I can have more opportunities for the future. What are you majoring in right now? I'm still not finished with my bachelor's, but... Um, I'm still deciding what I want to do. I'm thinking as a teacher, but I majored in especially a degree in, oh my God, early childhood education. And so that has really helped me with my uh, teaching, you know, like in Russia and just uh, how to work with children. And because I grew up with children all my life, so I have ways of how to handle know how to have that natural care ability and try to mentor them. It sounds like you've been through it all. Yeah, because I love kids. Since I was a little kid, I fell in love. This is kind of out of topic, but it's interesting because you're a nanny. Have you seen the the, the show The Nanny in, in America? Of course. You kind of have that accent <laughs> a little bit, it sounds like. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. On the nanny show, the funny show you're talking about? Yeah, you kind of have that drawl or whatever, it sounds like. That's so funny. No, well, first of all, I'm actually finishing being sick, so I'm more nasally. And a lot of people say I'm, I sound like a New Yorker. Yeah, I was just I was just going to tell you that you do sound like a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. that's what's kind of interesting. Yeah, but, you know, I grew up with Arizona family, but they have like a little bit of hints of like Rhode Island accent, Providence. And, and when I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, I don't have Atlanta, Georgia accent. I just have still on an accent. So. Yeah, exactly. Good. So if there's any last words you'd like to say, we thought we'd close it up pretty soon. And no problem. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think you're a very beautifully strong person that I think could inspire and help a lot of other adoptees that I think they need to hear your story because you're basically the way of light and would be a, a great mentor and a, a good role model. That's what you really seem like to me. And that's why I really like to get to know these stories. And I appreciate you uh, interacting with me and, and my brother. 
and sharing your story despite all the struggles you went through. Is there any last minute things that you'd like to share to our audience? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll say like um, for adoptees to remember that um, don't make excuses. And I would say I tried because trying is an excuse. But if you just say you're working on it, um, you still, uh, you know, it's taking the steps. But if you say I tried, it's like, oh, I tried. That's it. You give up. Uh, but if you just say you're working on things, um, then that shows some kind of effort you're doing. And don't give excuses. Don't uh, and try your best is to change yourself, but not others, because they're not going to change. Them. And um, and treat yourself that way you've always dreamed as a child to be treated, and as now. Um, and don't give the power to others to treat you horribly um, for, because for so many years you try to, you know, push that away, uh, but you're actually going to their path, which, you know, uh, do opposite and, um, and throw more kindness. There's a game always in my head. It's like you can throw all the, excuse my language, all the to me, but I'm ready to throw all the kindness now to uh, become like them. But, um, yeah, there are all these kindness to them. And see who will win. And always the kindness will win all the time. Um, so, yeah, that's all I can say the last thing. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate you. this talk. This was an awesome talk. It's really yeah. inspirational. I, I really respect you. I mean, even adoptee as myself, I really look up to people like you, and I hope a lot Other of our viewers will. will look up to you because you're just the way you're living. It just seems like it's awesome, despite all the hardships all the, all that the, you've been through. All the you've been through. It's it's great. Yeah, lessons that you're giving, and don't um, have regression. Like, don't regret it. And uh, just see that you are uh, more powerful than you think you are. And there's a reason you've been challenged. It's because you can see that you can handle it and just keep striving for it. Uh, instead of like, why me, why me? Just say, oh, it's challenging me. Now let's let's see, you know, I mean, a warrior in that way. So, yeah, thank you guys so much. So um, I'm happy to definitely share, you know, to others and help others. For sure. Yeah. Do you actually have a contact information? I like to connect adoptees with other adoptees. Yeah, go ahead. And I can give you my, uh, I'm connecting WhatsApp because this, because I'm communicating internationally. Okay, great. I'll put that in the description link. And then if you ever see like random adoptees saying, hey, you inspired me, I, I, uh, that's probably why. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much.